0: Father, we thank you for another Sunday to celebrate the work of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, and who he is and what he's done for us. Always something to sing about, to give praise. We thank you for, thank you for mothers today. We thank you for the care in which... They provide to their families the way that they serve their families and care for their families, often unseen, uncelebrated. So we thank you for them. We also remember mothers that we've lost today. to makes today harder for some, and we pray that you would be a comfort to them. You would also be a comfort to, to, to ladies who have not yet had children and desire to. In the awkwardness of today, we pray that you would be their supply and their care through your spirit today. And we thank you that we can open your word, your word that you've revealed yourself to us, that we might know you, that we might have knowledge and understanding of who you are and what you've done and how we ought to live our lives before you. So we thank you for your inspired, your inerrant, your sufficient Word, help us be a people who believe that your Word is sufficient for us, that we don't have to go chasing other ideologies of our day, but it's certainly sufficient for our life and godliness, as your Word says. And we pray for today. We pray that as we open your Word and seek to know and understand your generosity better that you've shown us, that we might extend the different currencies of generosity to those around us. We love you and thank you for time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Home. Dorothy says there's no place like home. When you buy a new house, you say, we're going to make this house a real home. When you leave for a much-needed vacation and you're on your way back, I can't wait. To get home. I can't wait to sleep in my own bed. You see, home is not simply a utilitarian place in which we sleep. No, home is sweet. Home, sweet home. Home is meant to be a place of rest. It's meant to be a place of rejuvenation. It's meant to be a place of restoration. It's meant to be a shelter. From the world on the outside, it's meant to be a refuge. But you and I both know that home isn't perfectly achieved in this life, is it? If you've ever been a kid or kids, have you ever said, I want to run away from home? Sometimes we feel like that as adults too. We peel out in the driveway and leave because we just need to get away or we take a walk because, short of heaven, Home is not perfectly achieved, but we long for home. We long for home. We long for a place of peace and comfort and warmth and nourishment. Home is a sacred space. But here's the thing. It's not just a sacred space that is ours. A couple weeks ago when we started this series on generosity, which as we talk even about the word generosity, the one thing that comes to mind is money, what we said in week one and in week two, that generosity is more than money. See, generosity starts with the person of God and how he, as the owner of all things, who owns everything and all the world and all that's in it, according to the Psalms, that he is a gracious God, that he has graciously given us blessing, that he's graciously shown us, most of all, his mercy and his grace through his son. So what kind of God is he? He's a gracious God. And so what does that mean as we think about the currencies, the different currencies of generosity in our own lives? Last week, we looked at the generosity of relationship and even even the the least of these, even someone we don't know that we extend relationship and care toward them. And so today, we roll into generous, generous hospitality. Generous hospitality. What does God expect of us as it relates to our space and our resources and how we share our space and resources and life with others around us? Can I ask you a question? How do you see your space? How do you see your home? Do you share your life and space with other people outside of your own Family, Do you practice, as the Bible says, hospitality? And if so, who do you share your life and space and hospitality with? And why do you do it with those particular people? What's your motive? The text that we're in this morning unpacks some generous hospitality, really by telling us what generous hospitality isn't. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. And we'll be in verses 7 through 24, page 873. If you've got a Bible in front of you, if you need one, the words will be on our screen. If you've got one with you, um, Luke 14, 7 through 24. And as you turn there, just a little background. The first six verses of Luke 14 tell us that Jesus has been invited to this party. He's been invited to a party on the Sabbath day by the Pharisees. Weren't you not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, Pharisees, it's always interesting, isn't it? People in power, the rules don't apply to them, right? And so the Pharisees throw a party and they invite Jesus, and they're not just inviting Jesus out of the goodness of their own heart. It says, the text says that they are watching him intently, and there's a plant in the room. And that plant is a sick person. You know where I'm going with this? Sick person. On the Sabbath, what did they ream Jesus for over and over three times? How can you heal someone on the Sabbath? And Jesus preemptively asks the question or says, Hey, is it not lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Would you not take care of your kid if they fell ill on the Sabbath? Would you not go get the oxen out of the ditch If it was lost, no, there's good on the Sabbath. So the context in which we step into hospitality is Jesus at a party with some Pharisees who are trying to entrap him. But like many other places in the Gospels, Jesus leaves them speechless. And we pick it up, though, in Luke 14, verse 7. I want to show you this morning how we receive hospitality from others. How are we to be a guest in someone else's home? Also, I want to show you how and what motive in which we should use to host other people. And then I'm going to show you, at the end of this, this text is going to show you God's hospitality, to some guests that weren't invited. Walk with us here. Luke 14. And I'm going to take seven and 11, and we'll walk into it that way. Verse seven. Now he told a parable to those who were invited, the guest I was describing. When he noticed how they chose the place of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come in and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place, So that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself would be exalted. Jesus is gonna tell us how not to do Christian hospitality, and your first thought this morning is this Christian hospitality is not about climbing the social ladder. It's not about networking, and he's speaking to the guest who showed up. So check this out. They're watching Jesus at this party to see how he's going to respond to the sick guy, and he heals him, but guess what else? Jesus is watching them. He's watching their first century patronage system of relationship and hospitality play out, and he's got a few things to say about their method or their motive of hospitality toward one another. It's interesting. Jesus is at a party. You ever been at a party and something awkward happens? Do you press in or do you not? Jesus goes for it, all right? He goes and presses into their motives. And so, Christian hospitality is not about climbing some social ladder. See, back in that day, people um, would arrive at a party and there was jockeying for position in the place of honor where it says that in the text, it's just, how can I get to the closest seat to the host to enable me to climb the social ladder so that I'm seen in a certain status kind of way? And so these people were using the generosity of hospitality in this parable to use them to climb a social ladder. Ladder. And Jesus looks past the healing into their motives for this, and he speaks to the guests who want to be in this inner circle, who are using hospitality for gain and status and to become the upper crust. And here's some, you look at it though, it's just like common sense. Jesus gives some common sense help to the people who come to a party. And the Bible's interesting, in the book of Proverbs, verse Chapter 25, Solomon gives some common sense. That's what Proverbs is. It's some Proverbs um, advice um, to people. And he says this. Jesus is really just borrowing from Solomon in in Proverbs 25. Listen to this from Solomon. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of the Of the noble, so Jesus is trying to help them out a little bit and how they approach this dinner party as a, a guest. But there's a deeper issue here. I don't think Jesus is just pointing out, hey, here's how to really do it. I think there's a deeper issue here. He who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. We saw that a couple of weeks ago with the tax collector and how the tax collector prayed versus the Pharisee who prayed in the temple. And Jesus said, even there, he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's this backwards kingdom. You think about the world and how we push ourselves forward. But in God's economy, no, we humble ourselves before him. And so what is Jesus' instruction? It is to take a lesser seat. That way you move up. And so here's a point, because I think there's a deeper point in this text about Christian hospitality and generosity. As disciples of Jesus... Someone's hospitality extended to you isn't to be used to raise your social status. You've seen this, right? Maybe you you haven't. Maybe you're pure in heart, right? You've been to a party. You've been to a wedding. I've been to a pastor's conference. And you watch the positioning that people do to try to get in to the good graces of the host or someone they deem as important. So let me give you two thoughts. Let me give you a common sense application. And then let me... Deal with the deeper heart motive for us as we think about being good guests in other people's homes or at parties, and what it looks like to be hospitable. The common sense application here is: you ever heard the phrase "you're trying too hard"? Never heard that? You know, when you're a kid and you want to be in the right social circle, you want to be in the tribe of kids or the friend group. Are you trying too hard? In high school, it's the same way. In college, at a work environment, you're trying so hard to be a part of this social stratosphere. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in the church. See, when you try too hard, it usually doesn't work because people can tell that you're trying too hard. But there's some deeper application, I think, for us here as well. Are you pursuing certain relationships? And this really gets, this is hard. Evaluate your motives. Are you pursuing certain relationships with certain people because you think it will help you gain something? Are we about relationships that aren't really about the relationship, but simply about some transactional exchange? With someone who has something that we want. That's hard. That's a heart check. And that puts undue expectations on the person sitting close to you. Or the person you're trying to gain favor with, doesn't it? But let's get real practical. Let's get real granular granular about what it looks like to be even a guest in someone's home. How How do I pursue humility? You know, when I'm an invited guest... In someone's home, some practical thoughts, be mindful, right? Be mindful and humble. Offer to bring something to someone's house. If they're cooking you lunch, offer to bring something. They may say, no, we've got it covered, and that's just fine. It's a way to to continue to be humble. Bring a gift or write a note to a host. Offer to clean up after. If you've got kids and the kid room is blitzed after, don't just walk out. Get your kids to understand receiving hospitality too and go, hey, we're going to help clean up. And maybe the host says, don't worry about it. But you're offering. And beyond all of that, when you're in someone else's home or you're at a party, make sure you check your heart that you're about that relationship, that you're about getting to know the host or the other people there. You're not there to impress. You're not there to position. You're there to deepen relationship, to be generous, to get to know other people. Super practical stuff here. So Jesus digs down into this patronage system that you see him unpacking of what real hospitality received ought to look like. But then he turns to the host. Look at it in verse 12. Let me read it. He turns to the host, and he's got some thoughts for, for the host of this party. Verse 12, he said to the man who had invited him, this is the host, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Listen, Jesus hangs out with neighbors and family and friends and disciples all the time. This is an idiom. He's trying to make a point in this parable. So understand that. Lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. You should underline that word. You be repaid, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, excuse me, and you will be what? You'll be blessed because you cannot, they can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, first, Christian hospitality is not, Jesus is saying, about climbing a ladder as a guest, but it's also not this quid pro quo relational exchange as a host. See, hospitality is not a favor for a favor. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. I use you, you use me. And here's the history. When you read the Bible, you can't help but notice in the, in the culture of Israel, how hospitable that they are with one another, particularly the stranger. And you and I read some of this in the Old Testament. You're like, what are you doing Why are you inviting them into your home? When you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, he's nice to them, and you're trying to figure out why. Because they come from this culture of hospitality where it was not only rude, it was wrong not to refuse people and not care for strangers or friends or family. And so there was an open-door policy in the nation Israel. But what they had done to that in the first century here, that you can see that Jesus is watching and pointing out what you can see is that they were inviting people to parties and to feast people who could benefit them and so what Jesus is saying is kind of like a diagnostic a diagnostic question to go let me really know your heart is your heart really generous for your guest and a diagnostic to that was if you invite The person on the outside, look at this list, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Do they have homes? They don't have homes. They live out on the streets, on the highways. They have nothing to offer the host. When you invite them, it's a real litmus test of they have nothing to offer you in return. And it demonstrates a generosity. And again, I want to say it again. This is an idiom in a parable that Jesus is using. Surely he has people around him that he knows, his family, his friends, his disciples, that he knows that he brings in, but he's trying to make a point here. Do you see it? You're not going to gain something from them because that was the way it worked in the first century. Anybody ever seen uh, PBS Masterpiece Theater? I just have that music in my head, and I kind of twitch when I hear it. Downton Abbey. Y'all need to wake up a little. Downton Abbey, the music that comes on. Think about the aristocracy, all right? Think about the way things worked even then. In England, we need something from that person, so we're going to invite them. We're going to host a party, and we're going to invite them, and they're going to come in, and then they're going to invite us, and it's back and forth. This is the way things got done. This is the way things get done, is it not? And so Jesus presses in to this. He presses into it because they're just using one another. See, Jesus is observing their motives of the guests platforming and the hosts scheming. And who is invited to the party? As disciples of Jesus... We don't use people for our own desires and wants. A relationship for a relationship, favor for a favor. No, Christian hospitality is not a quid pro quo relational exchange. Now listen, I'm going to stop here for a minute because we do quid pro quo every day. Men, today, here's what you're going to do, right? You're going to take your wife and your family out to lunch. She's not going to cook, right? You better say right. You can be in trouble. She's not going to cook. So you're going to show up wherever you are. I still got to figure it out. Where are we going today? As I'm saying this, you're going to take her somewhere and you're going to pay money. You're going to exchange money for food. And then after lunch, you're going to go to HEB. She ain't going today, is she? Right? You're going to get the groceries today or do a curbside. It works. And what are you going to do? You're doing quid pro quo. You're going to get groceries, and you're going to pay for it. It It's an exchange. You may even be a salesman at work, and you're going, hey, man, this is the way life works at work. I have to entertain and show people my product, and that they can trust me, and then they will buy from me. That makes sense. There are areas in our life where quid pro quo works, a favor for a favor, something for something, an exchange of services. But we get in a lot of trouble when we start applying that way, that social ethic to our relationships to one another. And man, I've watched it in the church, and it gets ugly where I expect something from someone, so I'm going to bring them in. Man, and I'll tell you, even in the role that I'm in, maybe especially in the role that I'm in, our staff, or our elders at a church where we need volunteers and help. You can do that really wrong. I need this from you, therefore I'm going to do that. So there's a place for it. But when we start bringing that into personal relationships, or bringing it into church, community, church, leadership, now we've got a problem because it doesn't translate well. People feel used. It's not about relationship, generous, caring relationship. It's about something else. It's about a transaction rather than people. And maybe we need to ask ourselves that diagnostic question today. Do you invite folks into your world who stand little to gain from you? And I'd, 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 I'd give you a little bit of practical advice as a host. Invite a wider range of people into your home. Invite your friends. Invite your neighbors. Invite your family. Invite people who are comfortable. But also invite people that you may not stand to receive anything from. And of the generosity of your heart. Be welcoming when they come. Ask them what they want to drink and eat. Let them go first when you eat. Be generous engage in real conversation with them to get to know them. That's gospel hospitality. That's generous hospitality. And maybe you're sitting there going, okay, you've told me, pastor, what hospitality, Christian hospitality is not, and I'm feeling really convicted about that. Well, what is it? Let me summarize the definition as best I can, and we'll unpack it particularly from the New Testament, Christian hospitality is. It is generously sharing your life, your space, your resources, so that strangers, and I'll unpack that, might become friends. And friends might become family. Let me unpack that for you a bit. Do you see, though, looking at that? Leave that up for a second, please. I want you to look at that. Do you see how different that is than what we just went through with the dinner party, that Jesus unpacks the motives of the guest and the host? Do you see that generosity flows out, not for benefit, not for personal benefit, but to be a blessing to other people? Generous, life on life, sharing your space, really God's space that he's given you to bring him glory, right? And the word strangers is odd in that sentence, isn't it, to you, to me? When the New Testament uses the word hospitality, which we're about to get to, do you know how, what the translation is? Love of strangers. Seems odd, right? I think about hospitality. I think about like Martha Stewart Entertainment. I think about um, bringing my friends and my family and those close to me, and that's fine. But when the Bible talks about hospitality, it's not just the person you don't know, like that you're gonna meet at lunch today or a neighbor you you don't know at all. That's the way we think of strangers. But when the Bible uses this phrase for strangers, it's people we just don't know that well. So I, I even look around here. Do you really know people that well in this room? Some of you do, some of you know one another really well. You do life together, you're in community group together. But I'm going to guess that, functionally speaking, define the way I just defined it, there are probably a lot of strangers to one another in this own room. And it's not like you don't know each other at all. You say hello. You may even be Facebook friends. But strangers is a broad term. It's a broad term that he uses here. So that strangers or people you don't know that well might become friends in relationships. And then also that friends might become family. What do I mean by that? I mean that God chooses in his word to use hospitality, generous hospitality, as a way in which people come to know the Savior. Let me show you some examples or or outline this for you in the scriptures here. I'm just going to popcorn through a number of texts so you see a picture of New Testament Christian hospitality. Romans 12 Verse 13, the context of Romans 12 is Paul's talking about, here's what, here's what Christian faith looks like, lived out with skin on it. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, care for one another, don't repay evil for evil. And in the middle of that, in verse 13, he says this, contribute to the needs of the saints, not because it gets you something. Contribute, just care for the saints, so inside the church and seek to show hospitality. It's a mark of the Christian and our ethic and how we live our lives is hospitality. First Peter 4 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's difficult. Try having people in your home, a bunch of kids in your home, and you've got to clean up all the popcorn to the glory of God. You've got to remind yourself of that. Acts 2 46 and 7, this is the picture of the early church and how they were meeting together and how they were listening to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. It's a, really a great picture of the different marks of a true church and what it looked like in the early church. In verse 46 and 7, they say this, And day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their own homes, having meals together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to the number day by day. Those who were being saved. So this is Christian community. This is how we operate. Normal operation is having one another over in our space. Doing life with one another. Look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 3. If you know that passage. You know it's talking about the requirements of being an elder in a church. Like A pastor, a shepherd, an overseer in a church. There are biblical requirements of that, that we wouldn't put anybody in that role. You think about the things you think ought to be on that list, but look at it. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That's kind of a big picture, that he's above reproach. There's nothing you could look at his life and go, that's amiss. And then specifics, the husband of one wife. He is a one woman man and he has one wife, not multiple. he is sober-minded, he is self-controlled, he's respectable, he is hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, all these other he's hospitable. The implication is does he share? Is he live his life with an open hand and care for others as a shepherd ought to? It's a requirement for an elder, so inside the church, you see this call even for hospitality. It's a mark of an elder. It's a mark of the New Testament church. We're called to bring people in. And then there's two other passages that don't really relate to inside the church. They relate hospitality to the watching world, to the, to the crippled, to the lame, to the person on the street, to the outsider, the one you might not ever want to have in your home. Look at it. Luke 5, 29 through 32. The context of this is Jesus has just called Levi, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, to himself. Levi has believed in Jesus. He's a tax collector. He's the scum. Nobody wants to hang out with a tax collector. It's high treason. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He would not be the person that you would invite into your home. He's the guy who takes your taxes and takes on top of your taxes. No way. Not coming into my house. It's like that politician who wants high taxes ain't coming to my house here's what happens he meets Levi Levi follows him and guess who Levi goes and gets all his tax collectors buddies to meet Jesus look at it and Levi made him Jesus a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors who were gathered who came reclining at the table with them And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Isn't it the same Pharisees who are throwing a party to get Jesus in trouble and they're doing this quid pro quo thing? They have a problem with Jesus hanging out with tax collectors. And Jesus answers them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You catch this? Levi had just become a Christian. He opens his home, he prepares a feast for his friends who don't know Jesus yet. So Jesus can come and share over a meal about salvation that comes through repentance and faith. And then last, Hebrews 13:1 and 2, let brotherly love continue. Here's what it looks like. Don't neglect to show hospitality <clears throat> to strangers. For therefore, some have entertained angels unaware. A lot of people have tried to figure that out, that last phrase. I don't know for sure what it means. But angels are fascinated by hospitality, particular hospitality with strangers or from way out there. And you know what Jesus says when people come to know Jesus? What do the angels do? They rejoice. One of the best ways in which you as a Christian especially in this culture that cancels everyone, one of the best ways we have to see strangers become friends and neighbors and neighbors perhaps by God's grace and mercy become into the family of God is hospitality. And some of you think about that and go, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can have an open door policy to my neighbor who has that Beto sign in their yard. I don't know if I can go that far. Look at the picture. It's exactly what God wants to do with you and me. To open the space that he's given you, that he's given me for his glory because it's his. And use that to see people come to know Christ. There's a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. Have you ever heard that name? Rosaria Butterfield. She came to Christ in the late 90s. She was a gay rights activist for 20 years as a lesbian. She was a tenured professor of English at a major university. And she'd just written in the Syracuse Post about the promise keepers coming to town and the patriarchy of Christian men. And so this elder in a conservative reformed presbyterian church in the town took this article and he brought it to his pastor and says, "We've got to do something about this woman. She's stirring things up in our city." And he throws it on the pastor's desk. The pastor's name was Ken Smith. And Ken looked at one of his elders and says, My wife and I are going to have Rosaria over for dinner. To his shock. (laughs) Ken calls and communicates to Rosaria. And she accepts that she's telling this story post coming to faith, right? She accepts the dinner invitation. And she says her motive for accepting is, this is great because I'm writing a book on the patriarchy of the evangelical church I'm a scholar so I need firsthand information so I can blow this out of the water. So she goes, "I'm coming to dinner." And she goes to dinner with Ken and Flo Smith. And they have her over and she says they were warm and they were welcoming. And they didn't initiate conversation with talking about their moralism. And how she needed to clean her life up, they started in a very different place. They started in a place to get to know her, to invite her in, to care for her, to begin to ask her questions, and they continued to bring her over to this warm, hospitable place with these Christians. And slowly but surely, Ken and his wife Flo began to talk, not about her sins, plural but to unpack the story of Scripture and how she's made in the image of God, and yet there's a brokenness because of sin, singular. And they began to tell her about Jesus, and Jesus captured her heart. And she says it this way. She said, the, the realization is this. My biggest struggle, my biggest sin was not my lesbianism. Hear me. My biggest sin was my unbelief. And when I came to Jesus, because I understood my need for him, my need for a Savior, it changed the way I thought about the things that I were doing. And it changed my struggles. Because I had before, I didn't struggle at all. I never saw it as a struggle. That's a long road. The Ken and Flo Smith walked to show a woman her need for Jesus in her unbelief. And that changed everything for her life. And guess what? She still writes. You ought to go on YouTube and listen to her talk about her testimony. You also ought to read some of the things that she writes because she had experienced, in this lesbian community, she had experienced hospitality and care. She wrote a book, little book, and it's really great. Listen to the title. I'd read it just for the title. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Her testimony is one of Christians being hospitable, to put down their walls, to see her as God sees her, as an image bearer, as someone who needs the Savior in her unbelief. For some of us, that's a hard shift, isn't it? Because we want to come after the problem. But we need to endear her to Jesus. We need to endear people to Jesus that they see their unbelief, that they might believe and need Jesus, and then things change for people. Some of you have barriers. I have barriers for hospitality. You are probably already thought about them, right, as we've talked here. It's my space, right? It's my home. It's my place of refuge. It's not anybody else's. It's mine. God's given it to me. That's a barrier. I don't have a very big home, or I have an apartment, or I really don't have a place. I'm a kid, and it's my mom and dad's place. Space is not necessarily a 3,000... Square foot home. It might be lunch. It might be inviting somebody to church. That's hospitality. Or maybe you say, my home's a mess. I don't want anybody in it. Let's be honest. I got to clean that thing up. It's too much work. Hospitality is hard work. Quickly, our first house, we were so excited about it. My wife and I just gotten married a couple years into youth ministry. Making 30 grand a year. Got this little house, like 1,600 square feet, 2003, Spring Branch. We were so proud of it. We gutted it. A sweet couple that lived in it before wanted to have some young couple living in it, and so we met them, but it needed a lot of work. We ripped out the flooring. We repainted the walls. We did so many things to that house, and we were proud. My mother-in-law wasn't too impressed. She, she has a witty sense of humor when she first saw it. The only comment she would make is, it's sturdy. And then we gutted it and redid it. And she's like, I can't believe this. But we love that little house. Well, this is the fall of 2003. I'm a junior high pastor, junior high kids. If you got junior high kids, I know they're all clean, right? And our Christmas party is in November. Our Christmas party for junior high ministry was in December and my wife and I began to talk about it. We're like, are we going to have people? Are we going to have kids in our home? We didn't have kids yet either. Are we going to really do this in our pristine new house? And we went for it. And man, they destroyed it. And and it was in those moments, though, that we what we realized by just doing it, like just inviting people over, as hard as that was with our little idol of, of uh of this house on Ottawa Street in Spring Branch. It reminded us that it wasn't really ours, it was God's. And it was a rich blessing, no matter if that stain was in the carpet and um, the new couch we had. I mean, they destroyed my house. But it revealed in my heart what was there. And so sometimes you just have to do it to experience it. How do you get over your barriers? Maybe... Maybe you have to deal with selfishness a little bit and, and call it what it is or insecurities about people coming into your home and going, there's a cobweb over there. I don't know about your home, but we've, got, we've just gotten used to this. And I think there's a balance. Some people say this. They say, hey, you know, you need to see my place the way it is, the way it normally is. And, and okay. But, but hospitality is also hard work. We try to clean up a little bit. And by the way, this is Mother's Day, so dad, help out. All right? Help out with that. Father's Day, we'll do something different. you got to help out. But in our home, like, we have a laundry room, kind of, but we don't have any place to fold clothes. And so oftentimes in our house, dining room table right next to the front door is where we fold clothes. So you might walk in my house, and there might be clothes there. We got a new dog, and nobody told us that Labrador Retrievers shed the way they do. And my Roomba is great. But there ain't no way my house is not going to smell a little bit like dog and have hair in places. We've kind of gotten to a place, kind of, where we're over that. I hope you can get over that too if we invite you over. So there is kind of this, it's hard work, but there's also let your guard down. Let people into your space and your life and use your resources to be a blessing to others. It's actually pretty contagious to see other people experience blessing and joy from your space. So I don't know how you look at hospitality or how you look at this, but it's one of the best ways we have to really develop relationship and witness with others. See, God has graciously given us our space and our home, and it surely is a refuge for us, but it's also meant to be shared, generously shared with other people. And there's really kind of two categories. There's personally in a church, there's the people that your neighbor's with. Um, There's people at work. There's people in your church. And then corporately for us as a church, there's a lot of ways in which you can pursue hospitality. You can invite people to church to hear about Jesus, strangers to the family of God to hear about Jesus. That's hospitality. You can serve on a, literally, a hospitality team on Sunday morning. You can invite new folks when you see them to sit with you Maybe even invite them to lunch to get to know them. You can come to a community group where somebody's hosting you. If you're a community group host, I just want to say from here, thank you. Thank you for opening your home to other people that they might be refreshed by your space as well. That they might experience as they study the word and pray with you in that home. What a great blessing. I know that's work and if you're in a community group and week after week you're experiencing that blessing, thank them. Thank them for opening their home. Offer to open your home as well. Super practical stuff here. But last, I want you to see this. We've seen what hospitality is really and what it's not. But I want you to get a good picture of what an ultimate home really is and who's invited look at it here. Look at this, what Jesus says. In in, in verse 15, there's this guy. We're going to go back to the story. There's this guy at this party that Jesus has interrupted twice. He's interrupted with the question about healing on the Sabbath. Then he's interrupted because he's basically exposed the motives of all the people there, the guest and the host. And somebody, probably in the awkwardness of that, somebody in verse 15, look at it. When one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things, so Jesus, speaking about these things and pointing these things out, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know what that is? There's two things going on here. That's kind of like saying, change the subject, how's the weather? He's trying to change the subject. He's trying to go somewhere else, but he's connecting the thought. Here's the deal. These Jews, these highfalutin Jews at this party... They believe that they were invited to the ultimate feast, to the feast one day in heaven, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isaiah 25 talks about it. And Revelation 20 talks about it too. They thought because they were Jews that they were going to be invited to the ultimate dinner party. So basically saying, we're good. And man, Jesus puts that bad boy on a tee and just takes the transition and says, thank you. Let me tell you, you're wrong. It's a parable, so he set it up. But look at it. He's trying to change the subject. He's talking about the kingdom of God, verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet... He sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. In that day, there were two invitations. There was the RSVP, save the date, and then the day of, there was a reminder, okay? But they all alike began to make excuses. By the way, people not showing up in that culture to the second one after they've already committed, after they've already, RSVP was incredible, beyond rude in that culture. They made excuses there's 3 of them first he said to them i have bought a field verse 18 i must go and see it so his priority was land i'm not coming please have me excused and another said i have bought five yokes of, of oxen and i go to and i need to go examine them so he's focused on his work and not the wedding feast this feast please have me excused and another said i have married a wife so relationship more important than this wedding feast, and therefore I cannot come. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to the master, Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Why? Because there's food, and there's a celebration, and the food's going to go bad. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways. There's still room. Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house will be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. See, there is a heavenly home and there is a heavenly feast and God is the host And he brings people in to the wedding feast of the Lamb because the Lamb was slain. Christ died for your sins and my sins. And there's a celebration. And he invites us in. But who are you in the story, is my question. Are you the guest that says, nah, I got better things to do? I got to worry about my property, I got to worry about my work. Relationships are more important to me. I'm excusing myself. But look at what God the host does He invites in the people on the outside, the uninvited guest. Like the previous parable, the one in the highway or on the hedge, and He tells the servant to persuade them to come so that His house would be filled. Here's the point. We need to understand and rejoice that God generously fills His house with undeserving guests like you and like me. There's no ladder that you can climb to God's house. There's no quid pro quo advantage that you can bring to him. He invites in those who believe in his son, who have humbled themselves and believe in his son. And here's the thing, you got nothing to bring to the table. We have nothing to bring to his table. So he's provided For us in his son, Jesus. Do you know that message of God's generous hospitality? That in spite of your sins, he has covered your sins by his son dying on a cross for you and for me. He is the ultimate host that invites you to his table on the basis, not of what you've done, but on his son. It's a beauty in the gospel You know, we began today talking about home, as home being a place of refuge, being a place of peace, but we all know home, as great as it is, as you go home this afternoon, and the refuge that it is, that it's not complete, and it will never be complete this side of heaven. But heaven is opened to you. God's home is open to you and he bids you come into his house that his house might be filled with people who are undeserving undeserving guests and so what does that compel us to do? Maybe you need to hear that message for the first time this morning maybe you've heard that message a million times that God has been generous to you through his mercy and his grace through his son have you responded to that or are you like the invited, quote-unquote, invited guests, you're like, I'm good. Maybe you need to respond to that invitation. But maybe you have already responded to that invitation. Not only does He offer you heaven as a future ultimate home, He offers you a taste at His banquet. And you can taste that now. Taste and see that the Lord It's good. See, we need to be a people that open our lives and our space and our resources to the stranger, that they might become friends, and that friends might become a part. By God's grace, the family of God. Let me pray.